All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. This is Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today. Up ahead this hour, we bring you Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. But first up today, it's Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, April 30th. I'm John Van Trieste and joining me here in the studio today is Shirley Lin. Hello. Up next, how a Taiwanese wine expert is surviving in this age of social distancing. Then what should you do if your mask starts to fall apart when you're out and about? And Taiwan has been uh, making headlines with its international mask donations. These are official ones, though. We're going to be talking about the private everyday citizens who are helping our friends abroad with their mask issues. All that coming up next. Please stick around. First up, though, um, I think we've mentioned this before. Taiwan schools are still going strong, and that means exams. Oh yeah. <laughs> and um, as always, the, you know, the, the Taipei Confucius Temple is keeping with an annual tradition by uh, allowing people to uh, sort of pray for their success on the upcoming exams. It looks like the next round is of university entrance exams is coming our way on in early July. The third mm. through the fifth is when the next round of testing begins. So uh, they, uh, they, they published a press release on the website of Taipei's Department of Information and Tourism. Um, I imagine the information part's quite busy these days, maybe not so much the tourism part. But anyway, the temple is open for business, and thousands of students do go every year with their parents prior to the exam to seek blessings. Confucius is associated with learning. And if I remember correctly, I think they may also have a shrine to a separate god who's associated with that sort of stuff, exams. too. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Um, and so they seem to not always be open, though. You're going to have to get there early. It's not like they're open constantly. Uh, it says, for instance, that they're going to be open from April 28th to May 2nd. And it sounds like after that, maybe not. Hmm. I'm not sure. Maybe they're trying to make sure we social distance by not hanging Probably. around temples. Um, but they're going to have limited sessions where people can offer prayers, not together, <laughs> Uh, these will be held from, uh, there's going to be a morning session from 9.30 a.m. to noon and an afternoon session from 2 p.m. to 4.30 p.m. Of course, visitors must wear masks, disinfect their hands, take their temperatures, and calm their minds with prayers, apparently. I'm not Before sure. Before you go up to the gods, pray I, for your exams. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> a full um, score in your exams. You, no, no, no. You're not, your <laughs> mind is not calm enough with prayers. I'm sorry. Um, so they have to bring proof, actually, that they've been registered. Or a copy of exams. the yeah no they're taking this seriously they're making sure people aren't praying if they're not there is a prayer quota right. <laughs> in place here um, and they have to take it to the information desk for registration um, they well, get a see, they get a stationary gift set which is nice well that's nice well if they're trying to keep the number of people down they want to make sure that, I mean that you have proof that you are someone taking an exam in a month or two right because you know they don't want extras uh, in there I haven't tried going lately I didn't realize that they weren't open to the general public anymore it's been a long time since i've been there Uh, they're right by us but Mm -hmm. anyway i guess now's not the time for this sort of thing um and then they they get 
pencils and all sorts of stuff and a good luck charm. So okay. maybe they're afraid people are going to try and take their stationary sets. I don't know. Got limited edition. But uh, yeah, then they go to the main hall to offer prayers. And finally, they put wishes, written wishes on cards into a box that is placed on an offering table outside the hall as a personal message to Confucius. Well, and, you better uh, bring your own pen then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or well, they maybe that's what the stationary set's for. I don't know. Okay. But they're regulating the number of visitors too to make sure... Even because there are a lot of people going to be taking these tests, but at one time there aren't too many people gathering around. So that's one thing. Um, I guess your kids are all past that stage, but yes. oh well. I, oh gosh, I, I feel bad for the kids who have to take the exams this year, though, with the pandemic and they're already yeah. uptight and everything and they're having to take the exam still. I mean, for some schools abroad, they're, they totally like just cancel the rest right. of the semester. Although some exams that I once took many moons ago apparently are still on. Yeah. And I can't imagine doing that at home. That's much too distracting, but anyway. Wow. I seem to find all the stories about wine. Have you noticed that lately? Yes, I have. <laughs> I don't know. You're um, a wine connoisseur. I'm definitely not. But uh, <laughs> there is someone who is a wine connoisseur, a sommelier, in fact, mm -hmm. an expert who does these like tastings and things like that. And... That has to be a difficult job to have right now because people can't gather for tastings. Well, right. not supposed to anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so he's moved his wine tasting classes online. Online, uh-huh. To help keep his wine tasting business afloat. Um, he live streams. He's got a studio. And he teaches the art of wine tasting online these days. Um, mm. And he was kind of nervous at first, as you might imagine. So he decided to take this very radical step, I guess, You've got to, like, pack the wines and send them out to customers. Of course. So oh, wow, that's a Because they're tasting the same wines at the same time. Right, and everyone right, in the class right. has to have the same bottles available. Oh. And I don't know if he gives you whole bottles or just, like, little vials. <laughs> but anyway, you've got to keep the temperature right. The packing has to be right. And, of course, nothing can, nothing can break. Oh. And you just never know what's going to happen with things that go through the mail. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Wow. So, and, and, and it's a good thing he's doing it before the temperature, you know, the climate gets warmer. Yeah. Because it can really affect the taste of wine. Because you can only, I mean, there's two amazing. options. One is hot wine, which is what will happen if you don't do anything. And the other thing, they do have, like, I think if you pay a lot of money, refrigerated stuff. Okay. But that's, ref you're not, I don't think, I don't know if you're supposed to refrigerate wine. I don't think experts would like that very much. Although I do. I put bottles in the fridge. But. I, I do too. Because uh, especially after you open a bottle of wine. And you don't finish it. Right. And usually I would leave it at room temperature, right, with, and with a cork in place. Right. But I don't like that. You know, I don't like that temperature kind of wine. And then I was told that actually because Taiwan is so much warmer yes. than most of the countries that it's okay to put wine in the fridge. And since doing that, I've been loving the taste of like chilled yeah. You know, red wine. It's nice, but I think like I, you're supposed to have it. Like people have special wine cooling things, or they, if you're very fancy, you have a cellar. Like right. it's supposed to be cool, but not that. I don't know. Anyway, mm -hmm. maybe some proper wine experts can school us on this. Um, and of course, there's oxidation. So once you open the bottle, oh, so yeah, what he's been doing too. is pouring a selection of wine into smaller bottles and lab labeling them, and then using a courier service. So I imagine. If his classes were expensive to begin with, now they're really expensive. I'm sure he's not paying for the shipping. Right. Um, but uh, they join him online at a set time to sip together as they flip through the course material. And actually, one of the uh, people who is in one of his classes, a 32-year-old math teacher, says 
that uh, it's actually quite special doing things this way because although you're not together, uh, it is cozy at home. Mm-hmm. And you kind of feel like you're not in public so much. So I guess you can be a bit more relaxed. Right. So the atmosphere is a bit nicer too, I guess. Well, it sounds nice. I don't know. Well, that's, I mean, one way to keep things going. I think by this point, with masks being mandatory in so many different parts of the world, this is something that's probably happened to all of us at some point by now. You're wearing a mask, and it starts to just fall apart, disintegrate. Your your straps snap off, the elastic bands break. What do you do then? I mean, especially if you don't have another one on you when they're being rationed. Right, exactly. Well, that's what happened to this person who um, quickly... uh, What happened was that he was about to take... um, one of the uh, those trains that's like Greyhound. So he's like going to another county or something down mm-hmm. south or something like that. And, uh, you know, as of April 1st, um, the transportation ministry has put a fine on people who don't wear a mask uh, and taking any public transportation at the most of like 500 US dollars. So what happened to this guy was that he was about to uh, hop on this bus. Then um, this, one of the straps snapped. Uh, to his mask, and he was going like on PTT, PTT, which is one of those um, chat platforms. I said, "What do I do now? You know, I'm about to take my bus, and and the bus is about to leave, and uh, you know, um, the strap came off." So then, well, there were all these other people responding, and one was to go to the nearest convenience store and ask their shopkeeper for a stapler and yes, staple it. I've done that before, but with You've our office stapler, right? And so, um, well, that's one thing. And then uh, others who suggested, like, you know, take a pen and poke a hole in the mask and then uh, then make thread a knot. It, thread it through. Yeah, thread it through. Or use a key or something like that and make a hole anyway, just to thread it through. I love making things worse. A key would just, like, rip through it. Yeah, you wouldn't want that. And it's kind of tough material, too. You might cut yourself. <sighs> well, one thing, what that happened to my husband once. We were about to go... I forgot what it was, going to MRT or going to a department store or something or the grocery store, you know. And um, his, yeah, one of the straps just snapped. Hmm. And I was going like, oh, my gosh. So what I did was I made a knot, but with the strap itself. And then and then still able to loop onto his ear. Right. Except then, of course, one corner is like, you know, Hang, it's flapping, hanging, in the breeze. flapping in the breeze. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> of course, it doesn't serve its purpose anymore, you know, flapping in the wind. But yeah. at least... You've got a mask on and people, you know, they check you as you go into, into the entrance, right? Right. Uh, he passed. So, yeah, that's really mm. awkward. And what happens? I mean, when you, when you don't have extra ones on you, you and know, you can't you don't have a stapler get on extra you. Ones because <laughs> yeah. it used to be you could just pop into the nearest convenience store and get one, but not anymore. Right. You're, they're being rationed. I'm sure a lot of people are reusing them, too, which probably wears them out after a while. Uh, yes, I've been doing that myself. So, <laughs> I mean, you can disinfect yeah. them and use them again. They're telling us. but Yeah, they're know. telling us. Maybe that's why I'm getting stomach Pain. I don't think that's, that's probably something very di- completely okay. different. <laughs> you know, I get a little conscious here. So. Okay. A little hypochondriac. <laughs> yes. Well, this is quite incredible. We've told you about the official donations of masks and medical equipment to countries around the world, and you've heard of that already, but what's really uh, amazing to me is the number of people everyday people who are giving up their own quota of masks that they have a right to right. and donating them to other countries, just donating them. Um, There's and an app for doing that. Exactly. Uh, oh my gosh. It's part of the online purchase system that the government set up. Not everyone uses them every day. I guess if you only go out of the house a few num- few days a week or something or you don't 
use the pub, pub public transport system or whatever. You're not going into places where they're required, you know. So yeah. they put this system online as part of the government platform, and in less than 24 hours, uh, over 120,000 Taiwanese people had donated their quota for the next two weeks to countries wow. that were hard hit by the pandemic. Um, isn't that something? Yeah. I'd be like, they're mine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, they said that that's probably in part because we've had a couple days with no new cases. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed that that continues. Yeah. And there's been a very long time since any cases of local transmission. I think... I don't know. It was like, how long now? More than um, a week. Yeah, I would say. So there, I, people are feeling, I guess, a bit more okay about this. Like, we're getting through this okay. Mm-hmm. And it says that uh, they've, yeah, collected, it says a total of more than a million surgical masks from all these people combined to go, like, around the world. It doesn't really say where they're going. Um, but I've heard that, uh, for instance, the United States is one of the countries that's getting them. So, yeah, we're ramping up our mask production. I've heard that it's going to be even higher next month. Wow. They keep buying and putting on new machines to, like, turn these things out around the clock. So oh, pretty soon, I think we'll be we'll have more than enough for ourselves if things yeah. go well. Well, there are others who are kind of worried when and they ask questions like, you know, what if I never picked up my quota? Um, yeah. Would they really just be like shipped off to other countries. I don't you know. Because I haven't so, I haven't picked up my anything on, on not on, not since they put the new system in place. Oh I have. Um well actually no 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 yes I have. I think it was just last week, right? Where you can just go to the nearest pharmacy and show your um right. health insurance card and if you haven't picked up your quota for that week, they immediately give you nine. For two weeks. It's a four two week system. And, right. And oh it's two weeks um, okay. Yeah, the last time I got one from a pharmacy, well, that's actually when you could still get three, and that was it. Mm-hmm. And so that was a while ago. I was picking up a prescription, and the, the person at the desk was like, oh, I see you're eligible. Do you want some? And I'm like, oh, sure. I remember you saying that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a while, actually, because I have some at home. I don't necessarily – I feel like there are other people who probably need them more. Sure. I have enough for now. So. Yeah, same here. You know, but that's really nice, though, because, I mean, you do need them for a lot of things these days. Yeah including even coming to work in our case. So it's very kind-hearted of them to to give away what they don't need. Well, fortunately, we're not under lockdown exactly, but a lot of things are canceled, and it's just a tough time, especially if you have kids at home who are bored. (laughs) And let you know about it every five minutes. (laughs) What do you do then? I think we have one creative suggestion. I think this mother is a total genius. Um, She's got four kids, actually. And uh, this all happened because she, uh, you know, has been, uh, has this uh, popcorn popper that she's been sitting in the corner. She decided to pop some popcorns. Hmm. And then, and one of the kids says, Mom, if we have popcorns, you know, there's always great if there's a movie, th- you know, like we're going to the movies. And you can't, well, you can, but a lot of people are not. Not going to the movies. Some of them have just like decided to go do big renovations because no one's showing up. I know. And so this mom just got an idea. And then asked all her four kids, you know, okay, so we're going to turn our living into a, a theater. So what do you think we need to have? And so what she did was she prepared a table and then she popped all these popcorns and they're all filled in these like popcorn holders and that you find at movie theaters. Oh, sort of the, what are those like pla- those uh, paper those, sort of... The cups, you know, like tall paper yeah. cups kind of thing. Can, yeah, the cartons. Yeah, she got a table of that and she said that the kids said that 
we would love to have a 7-Eleven nearby and just pop, like, run over there and get snacks. So she set up a 7-Eleven kind of rack with all kinds of snacks, even a 7-Eleven emblem at the very logo at the very top of wow. the rack. And then she <laughs> totally, you know, like decorated the, you know, their TV screen and writing something like Chen Mama's um, theater or something like that. And then no smoking signs, you know, and totally <laughs> Something amazing. that you definitely have to worry about when you have, when they're your kids. <laughs> and then now she really put the social distancing into practice. They've got a huge sofa and she's got four kids. So she kind of like, you know, separated into four seats but with cushions in between. And that's also, so, if you have kids, right. a very good idea. Right. <laughs> and then there's a picture of uh, where she's got the, her kids, you know, in proper social distancing. Oh, and wow. I don't know if she's got kids that's... wearing the mask as if they're wearing these 3D, you know, um, glasses. But anyway, so. They look like they look like some kind of cartoon character masks. <laughs> they're not proper masks. But that's an enormous sofa. I know, isn't it? It is. That's it enormous. Really is. Where does she live? <laughs> so this must anyway. be a very wealthy person, probably. And four kids too. Very unusual four for Taiwan. Kids. Oh, she even like got seatings. Like the kids have, they're assigned they got tickets. Seats. They have tickets. <laughs> yeah, it's all. I see them now. It's written on, you know, stuck onto the each sofa here. But amazing. So, what a way. You know, I mean, to uh, get creative. But. And you can fill up a whole afternoon just putting that all together. I know. It's just totally, you know, amazing. This mom is just creative. Well, I guess she's got all of the time on her hands now. I suppose so. You know, working from home probably mm. or not. I mean, maybe she's just <laughs> a not. housewife. You know, <laughs> maybe know. a full-time housewife, mm. you know, so. Well, this is pretty exciting news. We've got five brand new Taiwanese citizens. And I'm not talking oh. about babies. Okay. <laughs> naturalized citizens. Okay. Um, and they got their Taiwan passports just on Tuesday. This is very recent. Mm. Um, among them, very ironically, I guess, if you know what's been going on in the news, one of them is a former advisor to the WHO. Oh. From France. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, one of the five. Um, and um, we should clarify that we, when we say naturalize in this case, we mean naturalize and also keep their original citizenship. Mm. Under normal rules, you can, but you have to certify that you've given up whatever citizenship or, yep. I guess, citizenships you had before. Um, but this is a sort of a program of granting nationality to those who are extremely good. Uh, at something, whether yeah, it is like, public health, oh. or they contribute, contribute in a major way, like very Taiwan. highly skilled professionals. And this is a program that only began in 2016. It's a very selective club. Only 133 foreigners have been approved. Well, they're not foreigners anymore. So uh, also very quickly among their number, we've got a, a oh yeah, this is a, this medical professional, I should say, first of all, is a world-renowned authority on blood plasma whose works contributed to the fight against Ebola, SARS, and H1N1. So Ooh, definitely someone to have around yeah. a time like this. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, another one's a South Korean coach of Taekwondo, a South Korean art form that's very popular here in Taiwan. And uh, it says also that uh, there's an Italian documentary filmmaker and producer uh, So among their numbers. So some very... Uh, talented people yes. coming our way. Yes. Well, that's all for today's yeah. edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Shirley Lin. Don't go anywhere just yet. Up next, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight.
Lights, Camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Hello and welcome to Lights, Camera, Asia. I'm Jake Chen. Last week, we wrapped up the story of In the Mood for Love, a romantic drama made by Hong Kong-based director Wong Kar Wai, and it is widely considered one of the most significant films in the 20th century. Here is a quick recap: the film tells the story of Mr. Zhou and Miss Chen, two neighbors who live next door from one another in the 1960s Hong Kong. After finding out that their partners have been having an affair behind their back, the two are deeply wounded, and subsequently they slowly develop a bond of which the nature is difficult to define. They're like friends who support each other through this difficult emotional journey. They're also attracted to each other, and although unspoken, the attraction grows rude in both of them. Towards the end of the film. Both are indecisive about what to do moving forward, and Joe leaves Hong Kong for Singapore. Though he comes back to visit some time later, and Miss Chen also goes to Singapore to see him, the two somehow still miss each other and never get a chance to meet again. The film is about the feeling of loss, of longing, and that inexplicably tenacious attraction. That bonds two forbidden lovers throughout their life. The emotions expressed by both characters throughout the film are subtle but potent. The film has done an outstanding job of accentuating these emotions in key moments. In fact, I would argue that the film's presentation is the main element that makes it so enticing to so many audiences, even for those who don't speak the language. The visual language is universal, and can therefore be understood and appreciated by audience across all languages and cultures. I was going to break down the use of music, cinematography, and writing of the film in different aspects, but upon repeated viewing in preparation for the show, I've come to realize that these elements are very closely intertwined, and none of them really works without others individually. So instead. We're going through some of the film's key scenes to see how director Wong Kar Wai is able to employ these visual and audio techniques in order to tell a story that entices us all so much. This music is titled "Umaji's Theme," and is played several times throughout the film. It is played towards the beginning, when Miss Chen was walking downstairs to buy food, and it was used again later on in the film when she does the same thing during the rain. And later on, the music is once again present when she walks out of the room in which people were playing the game of mahjong. Just by listening to the music, we feel a sense of longing, of attraction. And the feeling of being stuck in between places while not knowing where to go next. It is the quintessential musical score of the film, as it encapsulates so much of the characters' emotions. 
In order to further drive home the depths of these emotions, the filmmaker deliberately slows down the speed at which the scenes are played. When we watch sports replay, important actions are often played back in slow motion to highlight the intensity of the action. This technique is also widely used in music videos in order to draw the viewer's attention to key emotions. So every time the director plays the soundtrack underneath a scene that is in slow motion, it effectively makes these sequences mini music videos in their own right. They transform actions that would otherwise be considered mundane, such as a walk across the alley to buy dinner and people passing through a room, into something that is extraordinarily attractive. We see every step taken by the protagonists. We see how they anxiously wait under the roof during the rain, hoping to get a chance to head on home. More than anything, we see and we feel their expressions. As the film progresses, the two main characters are filled with more and more indecisiveness, and are more and more lost as to what to do. And the music did a perfect job accentuating those emotions. This is why, like I said earlier, that the other elements in the film cannot be separated from the music in their role to accentuate the mood. In these scenes with heightened emotions. The cinematography, the costume and set design have certainly pulled their own weight in helping to accentuate the mood of the scene. During these mini sequences that we've been talking about, director Wang Karwai has deliberately set the lighting in a way that is similar to theater lighting. A lot of these sequences are set during the evening or at night, and therefore the lighting in the environment is understandably dim. But the scenes are staged in such a way that the main character would often walk past the light from street lamps or from other sources. This makes them the only people in the scene who is well lit, and naturally our attention gets pulled to the area in the screen that is the brightest. This setup makes them less like people in real-world settings, and more like actors on a theater stage. Standing underneath a beam of light where everything else is dim, along with the music and the slow motion, this makes us more keenly aware of every gesture and emotion that our characters express. Now, I believe this isn't done just to make the film look stylish. These sequences themselves convey a great sense of loneliness and isolation. And they often occur right after a scene where one of the two main characters encounters a clue or an incident that makes them really unsure of what's going on with their partners, and therefore, this heightened emotional expression makes us see just how lost and vulnerable they are in that moment in time. Another way that director Wang Karwai adds to the mystery of the film is in the way he edits, as in how he puts different sequences together. Storytelling in mainstream films, for the most part, follows a clear narrative sequence. The audience is shown the beginning, the middle, the development, and the end of most actions, in order to have a clear understanding of what's going on. The directors can vary the framing of those elements, 
but those elements are mostly there present in the film. In the mood for love is a notable exception in those elements. In many cases, the director intentionally omits the beginning or the middle portion of a sequence, and shows us only the end. And here's an example. Towards the beginning of the movie, Miss Chen spots that a few martial art novels are lying on Mr. Zhou's desk. He explains to her that he used to love reading these novels, but has given up the idea of writing one himself. She gives him a good gesture of encouragement, and Mr. Zhou offers to loan her the books, and she kindly turns it down. Hey, Miss, yeah, Chen Tai. In the following scene, Miss Chen has a conversation with the landlord. She intends to return the martial art novels to Joe, but he was away at the time. The landlord also tells her that Joe has been away for days after he had a fight with his wife. Now we remember earlier that Chen didn't borrow the books from Joe during their earlier conversation. But moments later, we see Chen in a different dress, coming to return the books. The director skips the conversation that happened in between these two sequences, in which Chen actually agrees to borrow the books, and instead jumps straight to the point where she returns them. The viewers are left to their own imagination to fill the gap, and every time we are left to guess what happens in between two sequences in time. It adds to the sense of drama and mystery to the film that we're watching. Now let's continue and watch the events that follow that sequence. In this scene, we hear the voice of Miss Jo. She's not shown in the video. We only hear her voice while seeing the environment in which she works. Her voice says that there's no need to wait for me today. I'm working a night shift, and you can just go ahead and head on home. The conversation presumably takes place between her and her husband, Mr. Joe. But when Joe makes a surprise appearance at her place of work moments later, we see Joe talking to his wife's colleague. Who tells him that she's already gone? These two scenes follow the conversation where the landlord talks about the two having a fight. Now we don't see the actual fight unfold on screen, and Miss Joe almost never made an appearance throughout the film. But we are presented with the aftermath of the fight. Mr. Joe calls her wife in a good-natured gesture to try to make an arrangement to pick her up. And she lies about working late, leaving him to find out later that she'd already gone home. Once again, we, as the viewers, are left to our own imagination to guess and to figure out just how bad the fight could have been and how it really affects the two characters. By using these techniques, "In the Mood for Love" draws us into its own world and have us emotionally engaged and invested. And as a result, we as the viewers feel deeply engaged. Next week, we'll wrap up our coverage of the film 
and talk about what many consider to be the crowning achievement of the film, which is its cinematography. For Lights Camera Asia, I'm Jake Chen. Talk to you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Today, my guest is Jamie Huang, who is a fashion designer in the UK from Taiwan. Um, she spent like 11 years in the UK、um, studying and working,、uh, but、uh, she started off by studying fine arts here in Taiwan before she headed、uh, there to the UK. So、uh, let's welcome Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Hello, everyone. Yes, thank you so much for making this time. So anyway,、um, just to start off, I understand that、uh, you studied oil painting and sculpture. Was that in Taiwan or in the UK or both? I studied fine art in Taiwan from high school to my first university. So basically, my whole、um, path of the learning. Um, for technical skill, everything is from fine art, and、mm-hmm. then I went to UK for women's wear. Oh, okay. So, but you did study oil painting and sculpture, right? Yeah. A big change from that into fashion. No. Well,、um, fine art, I think, is including painting, sculpture, installation, film, photography, everything in Taiwan. So, if you Check the major in Taiwan University that actually quite included at least ten different material and the way of creating. So for me, I think I've like got asked quite a lot of this question, but actually it's not anything to、um, a major changing from this to design, especially women's wear, especially the college that I went in UK. If I may, to go back a little bit, why fashion? Why your interest in fashion or design?、Yeah. <laughs> As I say, I think for me, it's not a changing. It basically is just a different way of creating by different materials. So painting we consider is a two D creation, and sculpture is three D. Basically,、yes. fashion design or women's wear or clothing、um, creating is another three D design with、um, different material. That's it for me. I think.、Mm. So you've always liked art ever since you were little. Um, I guess so because I was putting into the、um, the area since I can remember. So there is no、um, a choice ever for me to why did I do that or why did I choose that. Could your parents have influenced you in any way? Just curious. <laughs> um, not really. But、uh, my mom was the a painter for like a traditional mask that we see in the opera.、Oh. It's not exactly any influence for me, but I guess that <laughs> might be、um, the little bit or just being Sub- lucky. I think subconsciously. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Oh, that's very interesting. Why did you decide to go to the UK to study? Um, I didn't really choose UK. 
as um, as I say, I've been doing fine art from high school to university. That's almost ten years time. So yes. basically, that was a quite a long way by developing it from the traditional and um, skilled to the creative part. And I think I wanted to do that because the the college that I went to, which is interesting, Martin, I think they are a bit different from. We call it fashion design. It is still called fashion design, but for me, that is just another platform that gives me the chance to do what I wanted to do. So there's no like um, boxes for what you actually need to do in fashion, or it doesn't need to be a um, a clothes. It doesn't need to think the way that you think fashion industry is. So that was what interests me. So if that college is in USA, I would go for USA. So I didn't really choose for UK. I choose for the space that I wanted to be. I understand that you had the honor to, like you know, study um, uh, design under Alexander McQueen and Christopher Kane. I mean, these are like really renowned uh, designers. Um, what was that like? I think that was one of the best university in the world for fashion design wise. So mm. I think it was quite lucky to be in the environment that around people which are good and taught by the tutor which will have taught those um, top people in the industry. I think it's, it's nothing really technically training me to um, be anything. It was just the environment and um, self-taught to be um, be competitive, I guess, and to be strong. Mm. So what kind of design do you focus on? What's your design field, would you say? Um, I'm in women's wear. So I graduated from women's wear. But I also did a little bit of men's wear because I think from my point of view, there's not a huge um, differences of doing... It's a bit like ball now, trying to say this is women's wear or men's wear. Of course, there's body types differences and everything else as well, but I'm quite interested in doing unisex stuff, and I don't think physically women and men, if you feel like that you want to own this piece or you feel like you want to wear this piece, they shouldn't stop you by being this is women's wear or that's men's wear. That's what I thought. Mm, okay. And what do you? What kind of design do you like to do? Um, do you have like your one and only kind of unique style or design or focus? Maybe because the the background that I was from, so I really kind of into the details of material. So it's sort of like a craftsmanship from the the materials. Mm-hmm. So sometimes not a very commercial way of doing it. In uh, after you create a brand or after you're into the market, um, but it is what attracts me, and that is what makes me feel this beautiful. So I think. For my job, is just basically transfer something that I believe into a shape then and deliver the message to the viewer. I suppose that you've uh, given like, you know, fashion shows in the UK and Taiwan as well. Do you feel there's a difference, I don't know, in, you know, exhibiting your works there as opposed to here? I actually never done a show in Taiwan yet. We would love to do in the oh, future. Okay. In a short time, which we are going, um, kind of building our project in Taiwan. Oh, great! But, um, yeah, we haven't yet, luckily enough, to do a show in Taiwan. So that's why you're actually back this time for a short period of time. Is uh, um, you know doing some works here and taking up some projects here, right? So, um, yeah. Uh huh. Well, what's the difference between working with you know the people in the UK and working with people here? 
in Taiwan in the fashion field? Yes, I think what I wanted to do, uh, to be honest, at the beginning will be very difficult for Taiwan, especially for the market. Well, I don't really understand the market and I'm at the at the at a young time, but um, UK was a good platform to start with. It gives you, um, especially what I wanted to do with those conceptual stuff and those um, things that I I thought I wanted to present. Um, UK at that time, London, gives me quite a big freedom and support um, for young designer, young contemporary designers. That I think they support unique stuff. They support independent thoughts. So that's very important for someone who just started. Um, so that's why I didn't quite come back to Taiwan after I graduated straight away. So mm. I was doing quite all right in UK. And now we are um, seven years now. And this year we started planning something for Taiwan because Taiwan is growing really fast, but it's still a very um, special market in the industry. It can't be just completely bring back what is going on in Europe, what's going on in um, Fashion Week. It needs to be adjusted and needs to be um, kind of um, formed into other way that this country understands, these people understand, and that people will appreciate it. It's not um, say that we are different from others too much, but just now I'm more be able to tell the people here or the, be able to present who I am to the industry more confidently after those years in uh, in UK or abroad mm-hmm. instead of I'm um, trying to come benefit into the market and shape myself into how this market will be. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. You know, your works has been noticed even over in the USA, like Lady Gaga. Although just lucky, I think. I was very lucky. I don't have a penny to start a brand. I didn't even dream of um, starting a brand after graduate. That everything, I think, it was just um, luck, I think. Oh, you're too humble. <laughs> but, um, you know, it seems like um, fashion or design is actually doing something that the person really loves and probably... Um, is full of ideas. What I'm trying to say is that, like for me, I don't think I can be a, a designer, you know, because I think my imagination is very limited. <laughs> and I think that for people like you to be in design, you must have really a creative mind and um, have different perspective from the average people. That's my feeling. A- am I right? I mean, I don't know. Uh, um, your hobbies, does it affect your design ideas? For example, I think it's same as a film creator or a songwriter or any or a, a novel writer. I think any creative person we are in the same position because we are. Like it can be said um, that we are lucky to be this position that my job is just to deliver what is in my head, but it's also aching as well because. What we do is what we've been experienced in life, in doing from the culture, from the experience that we do we have. Mm-hmm. So that is really personal in a way, and to basically keep the feelings and the kind of everything up to that level, it can be very tiring. So mm-hmm. I would say that is it's just basically very simple philosophy. 
is to present what we think and what is our idea for from really really small tiny thing life to a bigger philosophy. I think just we're creating in different way. Um, like musician, they 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 probably transform them into some notes in music, and painter transfer them into the two D canvas, and basically I just do that in the thing that you see in the runway. So that's all the same stuff, I guess. Hmm. Like you just named off, you know, singer or uh, painter or novel writer. I I don't think I fit in any of those because <laughs> I don't, no, I couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Like I can't remember who say that everyone is a unique piece of work because that is just there's nothing else like right. you in the world, isn't it? Oh, that's comforting because <laughs> I'm thinking that I can write a story, but I can never write a 500, 800 page book of that story. It's just like you know, for a writer. I mean, it just yeah, I just couldn't imagine. Or even like a song. I mean, my song would probably only be two seconds long. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can't make it into yeah, long. That just everyone is having this thoughts and everyone's the same position. It's just we, our profession got to trend to deliver this message by some technical skills, and that's all I think. Join me next week as I continue to speak with Jamie Huang. Um, just the tough life of a designer and the pressure and stress and all that behind it. For In the Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin. <laughs> The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Hey, what are those buttons on RTI's new website for? Those are for Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. You can share RTI content with the click of a button. You mean like this? Yep, just like that. Visit english.rtr.org.tw.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.